Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen, amen. As you're being seated, I want to welcome you uh, and add my welcome. What good news it is that if you've put your trust in Jesus, you can say with confidence, I am a child of God. I am his son. I am his daughter. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, John said, that we get to be called children of God. Welcome to Horizon West Church. Uh, If you were here last week and you felt a little lonely, I want to apologize to you. Uh, Hurricane Ian made other plans for us, and so several of us got the chance to go to the John Young campus. We put communication out. We did hear that there were at least a few who might not have received that, so if that was you, I apologize. We do love you, and today we're glad that you're here. Um, I'll tell you, though, being off for a Sunday, uh, that kind of threw me off a little bit, like just not being with you all. I was like, man, my mojo is not right this week. I told Nikki that. I was like, I, I need to be with the congregation, and so I'm so glad to be here today, and I'm ex- especially glad today because we get to welcome a brother who has come from Nigeria back home. William Karshima is with us today. Y'all welcome him. And I want you to know that next week, William uh, is going to be bringing the word for us, and if you've ever heard him or you know him, you know you're not going to want to miss next week as William not only gives an update on what God's doing through uh, them in Nigeria— but also brings a word of encouragement for us, William. We're looking forward to that next Sunday as well. Uh, Before I tell you what we're going to talk about, because we're starting a new series this week, and for the next six or seven weeks, we'll be on a particular subject. Before I tell you that, I want to make two observations that I don't think I'm going to get a lot of pushback on. I think this is going to be kind of a, a, a shared sense of reality that we'll all agree with. Number one, Human beings have always struggled to experience healthy relationships. Did you know that the first sibling group, Cain and Abel, one of them killed the other? (laughs) Like, not like argued, not had a hard time getting along, not just sibling rivalry. He murdered him, okay? That was the first sibling group. Then we get to the Ten Commandments in the book of Exodus, And you're thinking, okay, God is giving laws to the people. The most important things are going to be all these laws about how they worship him. No, the first four are that. The last six, more than half, deal with how to address conflict in human relationships. Hey, guys, don't murder each other. Don't don't commit adultery. Don't steal from each other. Don't lie from each other. We've always experienced conflict. In fact, the number one reason that missionaries leave the mission field is, can you guess, the missionaries they're stationed with. Missionary. This is International Mission Board. The Southern Baptist uh, Mission Agency has verified this statistic that the number one reason people leave the mission field, it's not sickness, it's not war, it's not homesickness, it's they can't get along with their fellow missionaries. I was just curious, and I, I looked up and did probably more research than I should have done, but I wanted to verify this. Did you know that the last time there wasn't a war going on in the world, it was the year 487? Which means for the last 1,535 years, somewhere in the world, there has been a war taking place. People lined up, shooting, bombing, killing one another. Conflict. 
Here's my second observation. Human beings are especially struggling to experience healthy relationships today. I saw a woman earlier this week wearing a t-shirt that says, I may look calm, but I've already slapped you three times in my mind. (laughs) For some of you, that resonates deeply on on a personal level, right? But it's not just conflict. In fact, some who study these kind of things would say that the world is in less open conflict with, each, with itself than it's ever been. They, they give reasons like the, 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 um, the, 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 the effect of nuclear power and, and the way that that kind of discourages warfare, that, that kind of thing. So, so some would say, hey, there's encouraging trends as it relates to conflict. But what we're seeing now is not just that there's great conflict between people. What we're seeing is a growing isolation between people right? So maybe part of the reason that there isn't as much conflict is that we're not really doing life together as well. And and we could blame this on a lot of things. This isn't going to be anything new. You know that advances in technologies uh, have, have isolated us, right? How much time do we spend doing this versus this? There's a growing divisiveness in our media, our politics, the COVID lockdowns of 2020 and the ongoing effect of, of that on children, students, and adults. Um, and then I would say, I believe part of this growing isolation is the diminishment of church as a social center. So in other words, as a nation, we said, hey, we don't need God. We can do this on our own. And we found that the result was we were less connected to God, yes, but we were also less connected to each other. So today we're going to begin a series that we're calling Hold Us Together. And we're going to begin today by looking at God-centered actions that will help us experience healthier relationships. So over the course of the next few weeks, we're going to get into some of what those relationships are. One or two or three of those are probably going to land squarely in your day-to-day life and the relationships you deal with. Let me make this one caveat before we get too deep into this. As we talk about experiencing healthier relationships, I I do need to say that some relationships cannot be healthy because of the other person. That is a real thing. Simon was here talking about Celebrate Recovery. One of the things Celebrate Recovery has helped millions of people do is, is to differentiate what was done to me that was wrong, that was not my fault, What are the things that I did or the ways that I I, kind of took control of life to try to 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 lead myself that I do need to take ownership for, that I do need to reckon with? There are things that are done to us. There are relationships that we're in that no matter how hard we try, they're not healthy, okay? That is a reality. In fact, in Romans 12, 18, Paul says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, The middle part of that, that middle clause is the inferred statement, it's not always possible to live at peace with everyone. So if if you're in that, you're going, man, it's not my fault. I'm I'm not trying to dump on you. I'm not trying to gang up on you. There are situations where it's the other person. But I would argue, let me just speak for myself, most of my relationships that aren't working well, all I have to do is hold up a mirror. 
And, and if, I think if you're being honest with yourself, while there are the other exceptions, you might say as well, hey, if I'm honest with myself, I have at least some significant part to play in the relationships in my life that are not working well, in my marriage, with my children, with my parents, with my teacher, my boss, my employees. And so we're going to deal more with that. What we can do to more, to more effectively relate with other people or to have healthier relationships. So today I want to give you three of those, three God-centered actions, because we're going to start there. If we don't start there, everything else is irrelevant. We're starting with God-centered actions. Here's the first. To experience healthier relationships, you need to affirm the divine image. If that word divine is new to you, divine is the root word of divinity. It just means God-centered or God himself. So, so affirm God's image in people. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the livestock and all the earth and over the creeping things that creep on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Theologians created a term, it's a Latin expression, but it's the term imago Dei. It means image of God. The imago Dei. And I want to give you some implications of what understanding and affirming the imago Dei, the image of God in man, does for us when it comes to relationships and when it comes to living healthier lives. The, the implications are, number one, that we're made to exercise dominion. Did you know that? That God put people at the top of his creation to exercise stewardship or dominion over the entire earth. We are to care for the world the way God would if he was wearing our skin. So, so, so the way that we actually care about the environment, the way that we treat animals, right? The way we choose not to be uh, unnecessarily pollutant to the environment. These things matter because we're to steward the creation as God would if he was in our skin. We're also made to exhibit God's attributes. So God, who is spirit, says we're going to make man in our image, and he makes two unique types of people. One is the male one is the female, each of them demonstrating divine attributes that are more prevalent in the one than the other. And God says, what's true of me in, in spirit is now also going to be true of you in the physical. You're, you're going you're to embody attributes of me, man as man, woman as woman. And we're also made to experience community. Now this is where it gets really interesting. Did you notice in the verses we read a moment ago that God says, let us make a man in our image. What in the world is going on there? Well, we know from a thorough study of, of Old, but especially New Testament, it's revealed that God, who is one, exists in three unique persons we know as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Which means that God, for all of eternity past, and if that blows your mind, join the club has been experiencing community, relationship within himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. So when he says, let us make man in our image, one of the things that he's doing and one of the ways we experience that is by also living in relationship with others. 
So these are all implications of this. And, and as I'm going through this this week in my preparation, it just kind of dawns on me, some of the most significant truths that we hold as followers of Jesus come down to this idea of Imago Dei. We are made in the image of God. Our, our value of all human life is based on this idea that we're made in the image of God. Our, our value of each gender, male and female, as unique expressions of who God is and as being good in their own right, this comes from the Imago Dei. And the significance of the human agent as a steward of creation, all of this and much more comes back to this idea. Friends, we are made in the very image and likeness of God himself. And I believe it's this understanding of the Imago Dei that drives healthy relationships between people. It begins when I affirm that I am made in the image of God. Psalm chapter 139, beginning at verse 13, David writes, You, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Had lunch with a mentor last week. He said, Chris, I've come to a place in my life where I've decided that I'm going to believe what God says about me no matter how beautiful it is. You know what I thought he was going to say? How terrible it is. And it dawned on me, man, I more often think of myself as broken, limited, imperfect, weak, sinful. Like, like these are the concepts that run in my head. And while it is true, and we're going to get into this a little bit, while there is brokenness, it's also true what we sang. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. And it's the image of God that is the foundation of understanding that. I was not made worthless. I was not made to have animal instincts. I was not made to live and die and rot in the ground. I was made in the image of the eternal God of the universe. And from there, I then affirm that the other is also made in the image of God. Whether that other is my wife, my three children, Parents, for a little while, you are positioned by God to raise and steward your children, but you are not better than them. They are your equal. In the grand scheme of all eternity, think about this. You have a very limited time to be God's agent of influence in their life. When they get to heaven, you're not going to be standing next to them. They're going to answer to God for the life they lived as your equal. And so when you understand this, you go, oh man, my children are made in God's image. My, my spouse is made in God's image. My ex-spouse, as it were, was made in God's image, if that's the case. My, my, my enemies, my, my boss, my, all of these, even people that vote differently than me, they're made, they're made in the image of God. So when you speak against a person, when you degrade a person, when you harm a person physically or even with your words, you are degrading the very image of God in them. So, so this is why this is the most important, this is where we start. We affirm the divine image in people. And from there we do this, second God-centered action. We embrace the divine initiative. My kids have gotten into building Lego bricks um, I guess that's the way you say that. I used to call it Legos and somebody chastised me. Apparently you have to say Lego bricks. Did you all know this? 
Okay, it's just free, free for you. They might have even been wrong, and I've just, I've just shared their ignorance. But we, we've gotten into watching the, uh, the, the show. Have you guys watched this, Lego Masters? Um, in, in fact, my family and Socrates and his family got together for the premiere. We watched it later because that's what you do now. You stream it after. But we, we watched this. And, and when my children and I build Lego bricks together and, and little Lego houses, once we're done, we're done. We set it aside. The, the, the joy is in the making. But when God made man and woman in his image, while there was great joy in the making, when he was finished, he said, and I deeply desire to be in relationship with these that I have made. So it's, not like, it's not like God is just like creating. This is how people used to think about God. He was just like winding up the clock and going, look, I did it. And then he steps out of creation and leaves us to ourselves. No, God is intimately involved because he loves the ones he made. He loves you and he loves me. We're made in his image. But that reality was scarred deeply in Genesis chapter 3. We get like three pages into the Bible and people have gone and messed it up, right? That's what we do. It's all right. That's what we do. They've messed it up. They've scarred the image of God through sin, but the image of God has not left them. This is important that you know that. The, the, the worst person in human history, the worst person in your mind, the person that you go, Whenever preachers talk about forgiveness, this person comes to mind because I just don't want to do it. That person still contains and possesses the image of God. Doesn't change. But what sin did is it scarred it or, or it marred the image of God. And while that sin was against God, it had ramifications also in the horizontal world. That, that's why the children of those first people find themselves murdering each other. That's why it says that the woman will have desire for her husband and he will rule over her. The equality with which men and women were created in would be disrupted as they would jockey for position and power over each other. It wasn't supposed to be that way, but sin marred the image of God. There's no place in the Bible that I know of that, that more aptly speaks to the reality of where we are on our own Image bearer and all, apart from the redemptive work of God. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. Listen to this description. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in our righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs with him according to the hope of eternal life. Paul says, you know, you know what I was like? Before, before God appeared. You know what I was like before Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus? Man, I hated people. And you know what? People hated me. <laughs> Some of you don't raise your hand. Some of you go, yeah, that, if you knew me before I knew Jesus, that was me. Just this constant conflict, anger, rage, hostility. I hated people and they hated me back. And then these words show up. But when God appeared, and to summarize the rest of the words, you could just say it this way. When God appeared, what happened? Everything changed. 
not just in relationship with God, but all of a sudden you now have that same Apostle Paul who is sending Christians to be imprisoned and, and persecuted and killed, saying to a church, hey, if it was possible, I'd tear my eyes out and give them to you so you could see the beauty of the gospel. He was a changed person. And the image of God in us, coupled with the embrace of the divine initiative, positions us to likewise be the kind of people who can love and receive love too. You'll sometimes hear of people speak like this. They'll say, yeah, everything changed when I found God. But I do want you to know that the truth is much more that you didn't find God, he found you. One of the worship leaders that I listen to on repeat, there's about three of them. One is named Jason Upton. In the beginning of an album titled God Finds Us, he says this. It's spoken word, not sung. He says, we don't find God, God finds us. So who do we find? We find ourselves eventually, hopefully. And when we do, we find the one who found and loved us long before we could find and love ourselves. For we are shaped and formed by the hands of God We are held long before we can hold on. We are loved before we know how to love. The initiative was not you moving to God. It was God moving to you. And all you have to do is open your arms and open your heart to embrace the divine movement of God to you. The disciple John had a, a much shorter way of stating the same truth than what you just heard. He said it like this in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Amen. Whatever good comes out of me, whatever love I can give you, whatever compassion, whatever pursuit of justice, whatever kindness that isn't coming from Chris, that's coming from the regenerating work of Holy Spirit of God in Chris, to do what I could not do on my own. The love of God in me positions me to love others. And you know this is how this works. This is not unique to spiritual truths. This is true in any, any field. You can't instruct someone in an academic field that you have not first been instructed in, right? You can't coach somebody to play a sport that you yourself have never played. You don't become a medical professional until you've sat under the tutelage of under medical professionals. In other words, you cannot give to someone what you have not first received. And this, true, this is true also in the spiritual realm. And it's why we're beginning this series on relationships with highlighting the vertical relationship with God. It all begins there. And while it is true that there are some who begin and end there, which is not what we're to do, I I think there's some of you perhaps in the room who are running around trying to fix all your relationships and you've not yet asked yourself the all-important question, what's going on in your relationship with God? Because if that is broken, we we just had a hurricane. It's like having a thousand holes in your house and just looking for like sticky tack to, to plug the holes. Like you gotta fix the foundation. And the foundation of all human relationships is first, Do I understand that I'm made in the image of God, loved by him, and have I responded to the divine initiative? Let me use a different word than divine initiative. That's a big big word. The good news. The gospel. The good news is God's divine initiative, that when we couldn't save ourselves, God initiated our salvation. 
Romans chapter 5, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16, 90% of you in the room know it. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. What the Bible is saying over and over, what the New Testament affirms again and again, is that we were lost and dead on our own, but God took the initiative to save us and to redeem us. And once we have responded to this divine initiative, this good news of the gospel, then and only then are we positioned for the third God-centered action, which is to share the divine initiative, or the divine invitation, rather. There is a popular trend. It's maybe less popular now than it was decades ago. But there was a season of church life where gospel invitation meant almost nothing more than this. I tell people that Jesus came to save them and take them to heaven one day, and then they come to the front to indicate they want to go to heaven one day. And when that happens, they've embraced the gospel, they've been saved, and I go on to the next town to do the same thing again, right? And I'm not knocking the ministries. I mean, there are men like Billy Graham who have brought hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus. And you know what they did over time? They started going, man, we got to make sure when we leave town, there's somebody else staying, and they made massive improvements. But, but what they recognized was that the gospel invitation, the divine initiative, was more than simply acknowledging three steps that you have you know, need of and, and then receiving some kind of transactional gift called salvation, that it was more than that. See, the way we used to present the gospel, the way some churches still do, it's a very self-interested gospel. I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll get saved, you're telling me I don't have to be a better husband or father or like, yeah, I'll, 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 I don't want to go to hell. So it's self-interested. It, it also is very, again, it's, it's transactional. It's like, it's like once I get this ticket to heaven, I'm good. But the divine initiative is so much more than that. It is so much more. Let me give you a better way to think about that. God is not inviting you to a place, but to a person. Himself and to a community of persons, us. That's the divine initiative. That is what we're responding to when it comes to the gospel. Not a ticket to heaven, but the beginning of the kingdom of heaven here and now. I shared this quote a couple of weeks ago, but it's so pertinent to what we're talking about that I'm going to share it again. Dallas Willard said, The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and its most glorious inhabitant. That is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. When a community of people recognize Jesus is among them, a member of the community, but he's its prime sustainer and its most glorious inhabitants, so he's among us, but he's exalted within us, and the kingdom of heaven comes. This is why Jesus could say things like the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was not talking about a place. He was talking about, about a reality that was centered on relationship with God and relationship with other people. And so the kingdom of heaven was at hand in a leper being healed and made whole. The kingdom of heaven was at hand when a woman who had been rejected by her community, we call her the woman at the well, was re-embraced by that community and turned it upside down. 
The kingdom of heaven was in Peter learning that forgiveness was not just to offer seven times forgiveness, but 70 times seven, and then just a little while later, being on the receiving end of that overwhelming grace and forgiveness when Jesus said, Peter, if you love me, though you've denied me, lead my church. The kingdom of heaven was in the words of Jesus to a dying thief, friend, today you're going to be with me in paradise. The kingdom of heaven is relationship with God and relationship with people as God intended it to be. So let's make this practical. I want to ask you a question as we prepare to close the service this morning. I want to ask this question, and we're going to sit with this for, for a little bit. Can we do that? What is the greatest hindrance in your life to experiencing healthier relationships with other people? And let me give you five options. Is it a competitive spirit that says, I need to win? This is so often why marriages go sideways. We we forget that to love the other is to love myself because her good is my good. His good is her good. Like, Like there's a mutuality. We go, no, no, I need to win the argument. I need to prove I was right. I need to do the finances my way. We need to win. The competitive spirit short circuits relationships. Or is it an unforgiving spirit? You say, I just can't let go. You say, Chris, you don't understand. To let go feels wrong. It feels like I'm saying it was okay. I I can't do that. No, no, no. Forgiveness doesn't say it was okay. Jesus' blood on the cross was not saying your sin was okay. It was saying your sins are forgiven. And an unforgiving spirit, maybe faster than anything else, will snuff out and destroy relationships with other people. It doesn't minimize the wrong that was done to you. It recognizes that what Jesus did for you was worth it and enough for you to forgive anyone in your life who has wronged you. Or maybe it's an apathetic spirit. You say, I just don't care. There's something that sociologists have termed compassion fatigue. We we know about the suffering in the Middle East. We, we know about the war in Ukraine. We, we know about the, the, the trauma going on in our inner cities. We, we know about the, the foster care system, and we just go, man, I just can't deal with all that. And, and we become apathetic. We become lethargic. It's like, man, I just, I'm putting distance here. As long as my bills are paid, as long as my kids are, are in the right school, as long as we've got what we need, and that apathetic spirit will never allow us to manifest the life of Jesus who gave up heaven to redeem those who were not deserving. Or maybe it's a self-defeating spirit. It doesn't say, I don't care. Rather, it says, I don't matter. Who would want to be in a relationship with me anyway? My marriage failed. My parents didn't even like me. Like, I show up at a party and nobody interacts. Like, I go to school, I get bullied. Like, I don't, I don't matter I go to work, I sit in a cubicle, or I, I work from home. I could even, not even log on. Nobody no, notices. I, I, I'm not important. And that self-defeating spirit kills relationship. Or one more, and this is where if I haven't stepped on your toes yet, I'm about to. Maybe it's simply a crowded spirit. I don't have the margin. I don't have the margin. I, I, I can't. I can't worry about the neighbors. I can't care for the people. I can't serve. I can't live because my plate is full. We've got football and soccer and, and homework and, and the, the vacation and we got and work and it's and I know we're all busy, but that crowded spirit will never allow us to make space for the other person. 
And it could be that you go, man, my, my soul's kind of okay, I think. I'm not unforgiving. I'm, I'm not competitive, apathetic. But I have so much going on in my life right now, I can't get beyond that. That too is an issue. I want to give you a minute, and the band is going to begin to, to, to play behind us. I want to give you a minute. I'm just going to be quiet. And I want to let you sit with those five. Leave, leave those up for us for a minute. Is it that competitive spirit? I, I, I need to win. The unforgiving spirit, I can't let go. The apathetic spirit, I don't care. A self-defeating spirit, I don't matter. Or is it simply a crowded spirit that says, I don't have the margin for this? Would you ask the Lord right in this moment, God, which is it for me? As you think on that, listen to what Paul instructed a small church, maybe something like the one we're in today. Colossians 3 verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bear with one another. If anybody has a complaint against the other, forgive. In the way the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And over all of these, put on love because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. And while you do that, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you indeed were called as one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether it's in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. God, for those who are wrestling with a competitive spirit, Lord, would you allow them the mercy and the grace of surrender? God, for those wrestling with a, a bitter or unforgiving spirit, Lord, would you... In, in a tangible way, release from them the burden of unforgiveness. Set them free. God, for those wrestling with an apathetic spirit, God, would you, would you bring the hot coals of your Holy Spirit close to their spirit and light them up, ignite them, God. For those dealing with a self-defeating spirit, let the words we're about to sing ring true over them. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. And God, for maybe the majority of us who are striving to follow you, trying to do our best to serve you, but God, yet we find we're so busy. The tasks become more important than the people. God, would you forgive us and help us to move beyond a crowded spirit and make space for you and for the people in our lives. In Jesus' name. Let me come back to one of those before we sing. For some reason, as I was preparing this, this week, th this one especially hit me, and I, and I know there's some in the room that need to hear it. If the idea of a self-defeating spirit resonated with you, I, I want to just pour grace and compassion over you. In a really weird way that I almost can't explain, it's almost like Christians struggle more than others with this. <laughs> Those of us who fundamentally know that the only thing that we have in the world is the mercy of a God who loves us, Somehow we start going, 
oh man, but you know, I know I don't do this enough, and if I was really a Christian, I, and we recite our sins. Friends, if you've given your life to Jesus, you, have, you are forgiven. God has separated your sin as far as the east from the west. Whether that was sin was five years ago or five minutes ago, he's a God of redemption. And so we're going to sing a song together. And if you struggle with this spirit, this self-defeating spirit, and maybe it's young people in the room, children and teenagers, maybe it's older or somewhere in between, I want you to sing it especially aloud as, uh, as we affirm this truth that through faith in Jesus, we are God's children. Would you stand, team, would you lead us again in singing? Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.